I can tell you for me, I would not have survived 2020 had it not been for my edible supply. Uh, my main edibles connect had the best year of sales. Welcome back to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Jerry Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, did y'all celebrate 420? What is on your mind this week? So uh, everybody has been talking this week about Congresswoman Maxine Waters. She has been become a national headline after she made a visit to Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Uh, that is where 20-year-old Dante Wright was shot and killed by Officer uh, Kim Potter, and also just minutes away from the Derek Chauvin trial in the murder of George Floyd. And uh, Maxine Waters was there with protesters late at night on Saturday. And she spoke to the press and she was asked if there is a no, uh, a, a not guilty verdict in the Chauvin trial, how should protesters respond? And she said, um, essentially, you know, stay, stay, stay on the streets, continue to protest. And she said, you know, get confrontational. And that word confrontational became uh, the, the word that just would not go away. And so I wake up Sunday morning and I see that Fox News and the New York Post and the Daily Mail are all leading with this story about Maxine Waters. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a freshman Republican in Congress is calling for her to be expelled and they're accusing her of inciting violence. They're, they're accusing her of encouraging violence if there happen to, happens to be uh, demonstrations or violent demonstrations that she's encouraging it. And uh, it became a very, a very quickly, it became a political uh, topic. And I noticed that, you know, she hadn't responded to it and I happened to know her press secretary. And so I reached out to him and I said, you know, do you want to clarify these statements? Do you want to give us the Grio an official, estate, uh, an official statement? And he said, well, she's about to go on TV, but I can, you can hop on the phone and talk to her. So that one conversation I had with Maxine Waters ended up being the only time she spoke to the press uh, about this issue. Um, but I reported the story Monday morning when it was really starting to get become a bigger story. And essentially, she told me that you know she's not phased by Republicans trying to twist her words, uh, to manipulate her words, uh, to fit their narrative. And she called it a GOP strategy, where one, they raise money off the backs of Democrats, especially prominent ones like her and Black women in particular. And also, but more importantly, it's just a tool to get to get their base riled up. She said that she is not, she says she's quote, I am nonviolent. And she clarified her confrontational comments saying that she, when she said confrontation, she meant confront the, the criminal justice system, you know, confront uh, your lawmakers to pressure them to uh, pass legislation that will have police reform. Um, she, Maxine Wards is, is a very known 82 year old, a uh, congresswoman who came out of the civil rights movement, who came out of the women's movement, she has been about protesting from the very beginning. And to suggest that she would dare uh, encourage violence was, it was, it was outlandish. And really it was the right really making it a bigger story. But then it became a, a story even more because if you've been watching the Chauvin trial, uh, his defense lawyers brought up Maxine Waters' comments. And uh, he had tried to get a mistrial for her 
speaking on this topic, saying that it was essentially a violation of respecting the, the co-equal branch of government. Now, this isn't the first time that a congressperson or a member of Congress has commented on a case. And she has her First Amendment right, that's one. Um, but the right is really on Maxine Waters right now, trying to pressure her to uh, resign, to have to be stripped of her committees. They're doing the same thing that Democrats did to Republicans when, when there were actual uh, issues going on in their parties, like Marjorie Taylor Greene calling for the death of her own lawmakers before she was elected, or pushing conspiracy theories, or Republicans supporting Donald Trump which led to a violent, uh, actual violent mob at the Capitol and still continue to peddle back their statements and, and support Donald Trump and his supporters. So there's a lot of hypocrisy going on, but I'm proud to say that our report at the GRIO was picked up by everywhere. CNN, CBS, uh, LA Times, uh, NBC, Politico, everywhere, um, because she chose to only speak to Black media. So shout out to Congresswoman Waters for seeing the value of Black media and giving us that exclusive interview. And my message at the end of this is just to, uh, it's important for us to continue to protect Black women, especially Black women who are always at, on the front lines like Maxine Waters representing and using her voice because it's not easy doing what she does. She gets death threats because she's so visible and she's so vocal. And unlike a lot of her colleagues in Congress, she's not afraid to speak up and say what's on her mind. She was the first person to ever talk about impeaching Donald Trump. And here we are, he's now a twice impeached president. So I would bet on Maxine Waters any day. Yeah, and I think uh, Don Lemon even said um, on a previous segment, like you, anyone with half a brain knows that Maxine Waters was not calling for violence, but you know it's par for the course. And that I expect for GOP to do that. You know what I mean? I expect for words to be twisted. Um, when I mean, hell, even during the the whole impeachment trial and everything else, and we're like, okay, Donald Trump was out here saying like, you gotta fight. I'll go march down to the to the Capitol with you. I gotta fight. Blah blah. blah. And his defense came back with this with these random <laughs> amalgamation of uh, this, this series of videos of Democrats just using the word fight and, da, 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 and like, see, see, this is what this, you guys were inciting violence. You're, I call BS. And I think it's one of those things of like, I'm not even gonna let stuff like that upset me. I'm glad to see that Auntie Maxine is not letting these idiots upset her because we know what it is. And really at the end of the day, what this really is, is a perfect example of gaslighting. If you don't know what gaslighting is, what it feels like, what it looks like, watch all of this that is happening right now and understand that the GOP, the right, these QAnoners, these crazy folks are all out here just meant to try and distract and skirt around the actual issue, which is what is necessary is police reform. Um, and kind of in that tone too, I just wanted to talk very briefly about 13 year old Adam Toledo of Chicago, who apparently the day after my 34th birthday um, on March 29th of this year was shot and killed, I believe a single gunshot wound, um, uh, a single gunshot to the chest, if I'm not mistaken, by a, a Chicago police officer. And seeing this, you know, Adam, he, he's, he wasn't black, but he's a brown child. Um, and let's be very clear, the police, white supremacy, don't give a damn about black or brown. Uh, they, it, black and or brown, 
just go ahead. If it's not white, they don't care. Um, I think it is just so, and I, and I've, I've heard a lot of people with a lot of BS about like, you know, well, he was like a 13 year old gangbanger and, you know, it, he had a gun. You didn't see him toss the gun uh, uh, onto the other side of that gate or that fence and he ran and everything else. And I'm like, you're telling me all of this at the end of the day, what I need you to understand is that was a child. That was a child. Tamir Rice was a child. Mike Brown was a child. And there's nothing, never, never, never will I ever at all find an excuse for anyone who is meant to serve the community that you can't find the humanity within yourself. The fact that you, as a cop, as an officer of the law, saw a child and it didn't occur to you, shit, you know, maybe let me, let me, let me holster my gun real quick. Da, da, da. I, I don't know. Maybe tell the kid he had his, he, he had his hands up. And in that split second decision, you decided to shoot him. I've heard the police narrative of, oh, well, they, the cop saw the gun. And then he tossed it and then the cop didn't see it when he turned. You know what that means? That means that cop was poorly trained. I expect far more from police officers. You know why? Because I didn't sign up to, to, to protect people. I didn't, I know that's not my ministry, but you know what? You signed up for that. So damn, yeah, I damn near expect you to have superhuman ability to be able to process information within a couple of seconds and then go from there. You do not, kill a child i'm sorry no and and if you really want to get into it of oh he's a gangbanger why was he out that late blah, blah blah let's talk about the systemic crap that had that child out in these streets i'm not no that's not bad parenting that's look at his community that he's in and let's also address and it's not a oh well there goes that that blue democrat run chicago and chicago just wilding out again and da, da, da. everybody always wants to address the damn egg and not the freaking chicken let's talk about how we got here let's talk about gentrification let's talk about criminalization let's talk about all of that let's talk about it but no you don't want to talk about it you want to talk about what's the the real quick microwave solutions. It's bull and you're not gonna distract us. You're not gonna sit here and make us feel like if we're crazy, you're not gonna sit up here and make us feel like we're the ones that's wrong for telling you that you are bad at your job. The BS job that you say that you're here for, like in all actuality, let me change that. You're excellent at your actual job because we know what it is. We've talked about it before on this show, how the hell police, policing and police state and the whole idea of law enforcement even got started and how it was rooted in enslavement and trying to bring back once freed people back to slavery. Let's not even play that game. So if you wanna know, yes, you're doing an excellent job. Wonderful, kudos to you. But as a human being, as anybody with morals, as anybody with a family, as anybody with any kind of sense of right or wrong, you are effed up, period. You, your system, your systematic BS, all of it is wrong. And for me, abolish the damn police. And quite frankly, the only time in which white people are actually gonna get a clue and decide that they'd wanna be on our side is if their little billies and jills and all that other crap get shot down in the street too. And trust and believe, y'all sitting in here, you, you feeling lovely about this now. But let's be very, very clear. 
the more power that you give these animals, they are going to come for you. Chris Cuomo did mention that very fact that, you know, he believes that nothing's going to change unless white people start to see their kids, their sons and daughters being shot by police. And that's it. Unfortunately, that's how America works. Until it impacts white people personally, they just don't make a move. The opioid crisis. Oh, the opioid crisis. But when we was out here smoking crack pipes and there was babies out in the street, nothing was happening. But cool. Anywho, you know what? This is why I'm so excited that what we're talking about today, G, because this is how I get my zen. So, Grio fam, if you heard from our, our culture for our, our culture question for you this week, it is 420. Well, actually, it's 422 when y'all hear this episode, but it's an A, it's 420. You get the point. And I think it's important for us to remember that today millions across the country are gathering to partake in. Well, I hope y'all are not gathering actually. <laughs> COVID. But <laughs> in whatever way that you're gathering to partake in that. Good old Mary Jane, that stinky icky, that ganja, whatever you call it. Or if you're like me, a good edible will suffice. And while marijuana is becoming more accepted and legalized throughout the United States, we have to remember it wasn't always that way. As a matter of fact, in a 2019 op-ed that's still available on thegrill.com, go ahead and click, 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 uh, and penned by our very own executive producer, Palu Taluzma, which is titled, How Blacks Became the Unwitting Villains and the Victims of the War on Drugs, one of the main architects of the Nixon administration's drug policies, Attorney General John Mitchell, eventually came clean and admitted that the war on drugs was always meant to be an attack on liberal hippies and Black people. Former domestic policy chief John Ehrlichman later told Harper's writer Dan Baum, and I quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and Black people. Ehrlichman went on to confess, and I quote, we know we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or Blacks, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and Blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Wow saying the quiet part out loud. So let's keep this in mind, folks. As we talk today about marijuana, you know, becoming more accepted in the mainstream, I think it's definitely important to remember the criminalization aspect still has lingering effects. Let's get into it. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. I have asked the Congress to provide the legislative authority and the funds to fuel this kind of an offensive. So Shauna, happy 420, uh, or in, when this airs, happy post 420. So I wanna, I'm glad we're having this conversation about marijuana because Across the country, dozens of states have already legalized it either recreationally or medicinally. And uh, laws are starting to change. People are starting to get, uh, people are starting to be released from prison based off of their marijuana uh, convictions. And in the black community, I think marijuana has a special, has, has its own special place. Um, I wanna first ask you, what, when were you first introduced to marijuana? And was it, was it commonly used around your neighborhood or in, in your home? <laughs> so 
I find this hilarious because uh, marijuana has been a very prominent part of my life as long as I can remember. Um, I, I talk, y'all know I talk about these people every damn episode. My parents, my father is a Jamaican man. Um, my father, uh, you know, tells stories. He's like, hell, you were like nine months old. And your mama left you in the house with me. He's like, and I, he's like, I was still gonna burn something. He's like, and then he's like, every so often I just blow a little of the smoke into your face, see how you react. He's like, you over here laughing and stuff, having a good time. I turned out fine, according to my father. He's like, that's why you're so smart. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so that was, I mean, it's it's just always been very present. Um, as a matter of fact, I really didn't even realize that it was something that was illegal until maybe like 11 or 12 years old. And uh, my dad was getting, we were getting pulled over and my dad had like a, a blunt like on his ear and he's like, oh shit, like he had to, he had to run and hide. I was like, what, what is that? Oh, you're not supposed to have, got it. Like, this is what you're not supposed to be doing. Got it. Um, the first time, and I tell that story because it, it has significance for, for my later introduction to um, marijuana. So I wasn't, I was very much so uh, a square in, in high school. I think the, the, the riskiest thing I did was for boys. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't no drugs or, you know, anything like that. Um, and that was in college. And I want to say maybe either my freshman year or my sophomore year. And, you know, of course, like people are out here smoking and you're out here in the dorms and, you know, trying not to smoke in the dorms, just trying, you know, all of that stuff. And I remember for years being so irritated because whatever everybody else was smoking did nothing for me. Like I could not get high. And I was like, I don't understand what are y'all feeling? Y'all are, look, you're wasting the last bit of your your refund check money from the from the tuition office on weed and it does nothing and I was I when I tell you I was genuinely confused because I'm like I mean I could do it socially I was like but all I end up with is a scratchy throat and not, I don't feel any different nothing feels differently um, my friends thought that I was high because when we would smoke I would just get quiet and so they're like oh you're just like a quiet smoker no I got quiet because I'm like I don't understand what y'all are experiencing and this is stupid to me. So I'm just gonna shut up and watch and observe everyone else. The first time I ever actually got high, um, I think I was maybe 25 and I had, I was casually dating a white guy, was seeing if I was down with the swirl, I was not. He's very, he's very nice though, he's very sweet. But um, was dating this white guy who's from Maine and his uh, entire family like is from, lives in Maine. And his dad owned a dispensary in Maine, which Maine was one of the few, I think maybe the only state at that point in time that was out here just freely <laughs> with the weed. And so he would have, I'm talking like these gallon Ziploc bags of bud. And I mean, like he's pulling out, he's like, yeah, this, this strain and this, strain. I was like, what the heck? what is this? like, this is a drug den. Like what's going on? Uh, and all for his own personal use. Like he would go to Maine and then would have a, like a weed supply of at least three months and then <laughs> would go back home to Maine. Crazy. Wow. 
Um, and he, you know, first introduced me to like bongs and stuff. That was the first time I've ever experienced that. I was like, this is some white people stuff. I just saw people rolled up a blunt you go. Like, where's, where's, where's a Rillo? You know, like, <laughs> what is this? Um, and so he introduced me to a bong and I took my first like two hits. And he also had this thing of like, he would grind the weed and then there would be like, like some kind of powder, like THC powder. He would take he would collect that THC powder and like sprinkle that on whatever it was like with the bong thing. I don't know, but to just make the experience more holistic. And I took my first two bong hits and we were in the middle of a very deep conversation. And I forgot what I was talking about halfway through the conversation. <laughs> like, I mean, my brain said, I, so I'm out. And I don't, and, but the crazy part is I knew that I didn't know what I was still talking about, but my mouth kept moving. I was still talking. And according to him, he's like, no, you, you still kept on point. I was like, I need you to understand. I was physically out of my body. Like I, <laughs> none of the things I was saying made sense to me. And I was thinking a thousand and one other different things from then. I was hooked. I was like, okay, here we are. Like, all right, great. But I also discovered, I really, I don't like the act of smoking. Like I already have respiratory issues. I have asthma. I don't need that drunk. Like, <clears throat> like I don't want the, the idea of like pulling on, on, on a blunt or a or, or bong or anything like that. And then <clears throat> over here about to like cough up a lung isn't, it does not appease me. So <laughs> it's not appealing. Um, and I discovered edibles. And I've been here ever since. It's an it's amazing. It's amazing. I honestly, I want to hurry up and finish recording this show because that's 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 the first thing I'm gonna do. I have an infused uh, alcohol delivery on its way to me right now. Matter of fact, so here we go. <laughs> what about you, Jared? <laughs> so I have I had a very similar experience in that I used to smoke with uh, older cousins and. And I never got high. And I was just like, I don't understand why people love being high so much. Even in college, I was, my poor, my poor young self, I was in cars smoking weed with friends in college and was never getting high. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did discover, you know, as a queer, as a queer uh, boy growing up, it was always difficult for me to uh, connect with black men. And so smoking weed, even if I wasn't getting high at the time, was a really great bonding moment for me. And it, it gave me an opportunity to like, it was always like this, it was always like a nice vibe and chilled and you just, you know, just had good conversation. Um, and I was just there for the, you know, I'm a, I'm an introvert, so I'm like a sponge. I just listen to everybody and I just used to be there for the conversation. <laughs> and then, uh, similar to you in my mid twenties, um, I had a, my roommate and his friends would smoke all the time and I would just let them partake. And then one day they were like, Garen, try it. Like just, and they were like, you're not smoking it right. And so <laughs> I realized after all these years, I never got high because I just wasn't really inhaling. Mm. And from then on, so I also had like really, I had like really bad hallucinations as well, like uh, outer body experience like you did. But then like, it got to the point where I was really, uh, con- I was concerned. For, I, was, I thought I was dying. I was like, oh my gosh, call 911. <laughs> And I know most people, when they get high for the first time, they can have like a little anxiety, mm-hmm. um, maybe a, a lot of anxiety. And so if you're not calm, if you don't just let it 
just just like surrender, you will find yourself going through a lot of things mentally. And so after I got through that phase, I finally got high and and it was like, it, it felt like I was still myself, but I was more uplifted. Mm. And I've been, I like, I like edibles, um, but I think the best high is when you smoke it. So I just prefer to smoke it, but I do, I do feel you on the, it's not necessarily the most appealing thing. Like it's not necessarily sexy to be having a blunt in your hand, smoking it from the blunt, but there's so many ways, there's so, like, so many ways to do it now. You can do a gummy, you can do uh, something. <laughs> and so whatever you like, you know, it's available to you. Um, but yeah, my, my journey through marijuana has been a journey for sure. <laughs> yeah I uh that's funny you had a bad trip I think like mine was uh my my edibles connect well I have two my uh main edibles connect um she does these amazing like pound cakes mm. and I especially with the thing about edibles okay so what I pref what I like about when you're smoking is you can kind of control the hot it's only gonna last like, like maybe a couple hours and then you're good you eat an edible and if you haven't like paced yourself appropriately you will be high until the end it feels like until the end of time like you're just like to the point where you're just like I don't even want to be high no more like I'm done I'm over it she so she makes these these pound cakes um these brown sugar pound cakes and I foolishly like the first time when I ever got them from her foolishly thought oh let me just go ahead and eat this whole slice and I'm talking like it's a thick slice it's like this I'm like all right I'm gonna go ahead and eat this whole slice like I've been doing edibles and stuff like that for a while now like I'm pretty sure my tolerance is up there blah blah, blah. Jaren I was high for two days <laughs> and I'm, that's not an exaggeration I mean like I went to sleep and I woke up and I was like I'm still effing high this don't make no sense um and growing up in this household where my father is an adamant you know like smoker I don't even share my edibles with him anymore because he's he he's just like oh they don't have an effect on me they make him go to sleep if anything right <laughs> my mother does not do anything like I think the hardest thing the hardest drug my mother's ever taken is like a Tylenol like <laughs> like no, like, like she, I think she had like a, like an oxy prescription for like some tooth pain or something that she had never took it. Like, she was like, no, I, don't, I was like, do you want me to put this on the black market? Like we could have made some, <laughs> could have made some bucks, but <laughs> you know, uh, but it's so funny because I think there were, and you can tell me this too, G, like if you've had this experience, like for me, there were never too many like negative stereotypes about weed in my circle. Whenever I ventured out of my circle, and when I mean ventured out of my circle, I mean, I was a debate team nerd. I did storytelling competitions. I, you know, I was in the poetry club. You know, if I had to venture out of my, my comfort zone of black and brown people, and then here I am with white people, funny enough, the white people, the white kids who I would be around would be like the biggest potheads and other drugs. And and I it's so funny and I'm so glad that we even like I you know talked about like that um the whole thing about the Nixon administration and stuff like that was 
because you you know we had this idea of like things being a gateway drug you know weed weed was a gateway drug because you'll do weed and then you'll want to do something harder and I was like who is telling you this like because the black people I know was anything harder than weed was basically crack like <laughs> oh you're doing ecstasy you're doing crack oh you're doing heroin you're doing crack like <laughs> oh an acid you're doing crack we don't want it <laughs> so it it's so funny like this whole idea of like criminalization of marijuana was hilarious to me in the grand scheme of things and i was like and the real jacked up part is i saw cousins and family members and my friends, their family members being sent to prison for like a couple grams a week. I'm like, this is what, I said, do you not know what them white boys be doing across the way? I can take you to Manhattan right now. I'll narc on every single white boy I know who does it. And none of them are in Rikers for some weed, bruh. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, race. Everything comes back to racism. <laughs> Every single thing, Jared. But what about you? Uh, so, so I grew up in the Black church and my dad was a minister. So I always heard, I had a very different experience. It was always something negative being said about marijuana. Um, people often saw it as not only as a gateway drug, but it was a representation of you being dirty, you being lazy. Um, and so I wouldn't say I absorbed a lot of that, but for sure there was there were points where I would look at people who smoked weed uh, somewhat through a negative lens. Uh, but again, I also grew up with cousins who smoked weed, so I would sneak away. It was like I was like the good kid that the bad cousins will take and be like, "You won't be with us. You want to smoke?" And I even remember my mom finding um, some marijuana, like some of the bud, like somewhere in my car. And at this point I wasn't, I still was like smoke, I wasn't getting high. Um, and my cousin like left it in my car. My mom found it or my dad found it and they made it a big thing. And, um, and then I also remember even my latest relationship, like even after now, cause now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a smoker and, um, my ex, he was not a fan, like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the same ex who's like, t- who was 20 years older than me and we lived together. And so I wanted to like, uh, be the best version of that he wanted me to be. And so I would not, I stopped smoking when, and when I, if I did smoke, I did it with like friends and I would hide it and I would like try to rush in the house and brush my teeth and, you know, <laughs> you know trying to hide the fact that I was smoking which I look back on it now and it's like, damn, like you, you literally just changed your life. You changed your whole like behavior for a man. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality for me, marijuana is so much more than a drug of escapism. Mm-hmm. And, and we can talk more about that as we talk about like our belief systems and, 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 and why people use marijuana. But I'm so glad that I was able to evolve from the thinkings of what was taught to me in the church, what was taught to me in my household, because, you know, I'm all about being expansive and, and being free-minded. And if we's not for you because you simply don't like it, then fine. But don't villainize people um, for enjoying it or finding benefits to it. Um, because like, like you said, you know, the criminalization of marijuana for sure has played a, a, a direct parallel to how people view marijuana. And 
especially in the black community, because if you're trying to protect your sons and your daughters from the criminal justice system, because now, now it's criminalized and more stringently criminalized, um, then I'm going to also, the way I talk about it um, is going to be, is going to be impacted, it's going to be, the, the criminalization is going to weigh on that. And I think that for many black parents, like most things in our community, it's all about, it's about protection. And unfortunately, um, to, like you mentioned earlier, so many people, so many families and so many communities are, have been destroyed by the criminalization of marijuana and, is neg and the negative uh, outlooks and viewpoints of marijuana. And I'm glad that in 2021, that's starting to change. Uh, we're starting to see laws legalize marijuana. People are starting to, uh, there are business opportunities. You can, you can make money from this business, although there's a racial gap there and like, per usual. Um, but we, I think we had, we're definitely headed toward, uh, we're headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, so I didn't, I never really had negative beliefs about marijuana um not really but what it what occurred to me was just the unfairness of of the whole idea of marijuana and all of a sudden it becoming a business right so things change and and um society changes along with it but I always find it infuriating to know that there are these white yoga moms in California who are selling, you know, cannabis dog treats. <laughs> and there are still black and brown people who are like, who are facing charge, like who are serving time for weed. It's nuts. It's nuts to me. Um, but one thing I can say is like, even like, I, I don't, I, I understand how we got here, but even then I'm like, like we know, we know when cops was out here arresting people for weed, like they were probably pocketing some of it, right? We know these politicians who are out here and oh, the war on drugs and whoop de whoop, whoop, whoop. Like hell, the damn CIA was out here, was the one bringing in the crack. Like, <laughs> I think one thing that I am excited about are people understanding like even the the benefits of marijuana usage um there is still definitely as you said there's still a lot of racial disparity which is crazy to me because i was like y'all sat here and you you made it uh, weed was automatically associated with black people but now here we are and trying to get into the dispensary business trying to become entrepreneurs trying to make our own money and all this other stuff and now there are white people being gatekeepers for the same stuff they tried to to arrest us for cool fine but <laughs> like you know but benefits of um marijuana use and and really just the whole idea of uh medicinal marijuana and recreational use and everything else i can tell you for me i would not have survived 2020 had it not been for my edible supply uh my my edibles connect my main edibles connect had the best year of sales for her business. We talked about it, had the best year of sales for her business because of 2020. Um, it helps my anxiety. Um, it helps, I have a real bad problem of overthinking everything. And I, I will come up with 20,000 different scenarios and a whole narrative and a whole conversation that never even happened. Never happened. I've just 
blew it up in my own head. The the edibles tells me sit sit your ass down and relax. You'll be all right. Like <laughs> calm down. Have have a moment. Take a breath. Um, I get really great ideas when I'm. <laughs> I get really great ideas when I'm high. It's probably the 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 le- the least stressful that I am. Although this has been this weird thing for like maybe the last six months that now every time something weird happens, it like and I mean just weird is when I am like giraffe vagina high. Like I mean like it's just it's just high as balls. I'm just up there. Uh, like like just really random things happen out of the blue, uh, which I'm just like, is this because I'm high or is I'm, am I only taking this as this is weird because I'm high? Like case in point, like a over, like, like a two years ago, as a matter of fact, remember here in New York, there was like that, that um, uh, I think it was like a Con Ed exploded or something like that in Queens. And it lit the sky up in this really strange neon blue. Y'all can Google it. I promise you, you'll see it. It was this really weird blue hue. And I remember I was walking home high as hell because I, I had miscalculated. I thought I was going to be, I thought, I thought I was going to ride the wave and I would, you know, like hit that, that high wave right when I was walking through the door of my house. So I took a bit of my edible on the subway. Of course, MTA subway is trash and likes to sit here and now have delays and sick passengers and somebody and jumped in front of the train and everything else threw my whole thing off by like 45 minutes. So now here I am on the train trying to tell myself, I need you to not be this high in such a close confined space. And I'm walking home and it's, <laughs> it's, it's dark outside. And I'm walking home and all of a sudden the entire sky illuminates with this random blue teal color. And I stop and I'm like, is, does anybody else see that? I, I stopped in the street. <laughs> And asked, does anybody else see this? I was like, is, is it the UFOs? Is Jesus coming back? I was like, Jesus would come back on a day when I'm high as hell. Of course, of course. Like all types of weird stuff ends up happening to me. But honestly, I just see that as more fun and more experience. It's something to laugh about. What about you, G? <laughs> there are there are great benefits to cannabis. I think there's a, there's enough research now, although because of the criminalization of marijuana, there's still a lot of studies that have yet to be done. There's not a lot of information that we should have about marijuana and all of its benefits. But we know so far that there are people who use it, like you said, to treat anxiety. I do too. I have, well, had really terrible anxiety in the past. And while therapy is, is for sure been a huge uh, impact in, you know, in overcoming anxiety, marijuana has too. And I say that proudly, you know, I have my, my relationship with, with marijuana has become an intimate experience in recent years because I, I use it not only to treat my anxiety, but I do it to get closer to God. I, I, I'll smoke before I do yoga and before I meditate. And I've had beautiful transformative experiences um, being high, you know, it's, they, they don't call it being high for, for, for no reason. You ain't low. <laughs> it causes you to really quiet the noise in your mind because there's a lot of noise out in the world. There's a lot of society tells us as black people, especially and you as a woman and me as a queer person, who we should be, who we can't be. Um, there's just so much. And so to be able to quiet that noise and, and simply have, simply talk to myself and simply talk to God 
Um, that's my my favorite experience is um, being high. Um, but but also there are people who use it. There's it's been used is being used in medicine to treat cancer and. I saw a study about epilepsy. There's just so many things that marijuana is doing for people. Um, and I think that we have to also remember that um, ancient civilizations use mar marijuana for spiritual practices uh, when they were praising whatever being God that they believed in. Uh, it's traced back to civilizations in Africa and even earlier in Eastern culture, like in India. And so something that was once um, of the earth from God that was for us to enjoy has over the centuries become something that has been criminalized and seen as something negative. But it's really important that we undo uh, these ways of thinking because this is ancestral uh, medicinal um, tools for us, I think, to not only heal our minds and heal, heal our bodies, but to bring us closer to each other and bring us closer to God. That's a word, G. And for the record, just so no one thinks I'm crazy, this is what the sky looked like. It was pitch black and it was blue. If y'all are listening to us, go up on YouTube and, and cut to this moment. I'm not crazy. <laughs> it was a, a weird color. <laughs> so, you know, like it or not, marijuana is an indelible part of our culture and society in ways unlike ever before. If you still have your hangups about marijuana, keep in mind that we learned a lot about it which was derived from a system that was rooted in racism and ignorance. It's up to us to unlearn and re-educate ourselves on what's what. We wanna remind our listeners to support your local black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Grocery Outlet Compton. In April, Kia Patterson made history when she took over ownership of Grocery Outlet in Compton, California, making it the first Black-owned grocery store in the city. In a video posted to Facebook, Patterson said she was able to take over the store because of her extensive experience in the industry. After years of working at Smart and Final, she was recruited by Grocery Outlet to help with their LA area expansion. The LA Sentinel reports that Patterson began training with the company in June 2016, and after gathering her investments and setting up a business plan, she took ownership of the store less than a year later. Shout out to you, sis. So for our Compton local Griot fam, or if you happen to be visiting the West Coast, make sure to visit Grocery Outlet Compton for all of your grocery needs at 2175 Rosecrans Ave in Compton, California, zip code 90222. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review, subscribe to the show, and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments, we love those, to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Salusma and co-produced by Taji Senior, Sundas Hassan, Brenda Alexander, and Antonio Thompson. We'll see you next week.